listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Welcome to Rock Talk, the podcast where we talk rock and roll all night and podcast every day. We are your hosts, John Otney. And Colin Westman. We also have a special guest today. Don't mistake him for a stranger. It's mildly pleased editor-in-chief, Sean Lemmy. Uh, I'll try not to fuck us over. (laughs) I like your confidence, Sean. You know, I knew trouble would find me on this podcast. (laughs) I'm not going to... This is what I have to work with. Uh, I knew Trouble would find me on this podcast, and it's because we're talking about a band I'm not super well-versed on, Mm -hmm. The National. Colin, why did you want to talk about The National? Uh, Because they're a band, I I think it's easy for me to talk about. We'll see. I just feel like I've written about them a lot on our blog. They might be the only band that kind of... (laughs) I've maybe talked about as much as we've all, or me and you at least, have talked about Vampire Weekend on the blog. Like mm-hmm. maybe the second most blogged band on our blog. I'm not sure. And I don't know. It. I just felt like it would be appropriate after talking about Vampire Weekend last episode, since you know these two bands have some similarities. You know, they're both New York bands. They both kind of became big you know in the late 2000s early 2010s sort of like and they're also specifically brooklyn bands when that kind of became the epicenter of indie rock and um also like except for vampire weekend's first album the national and vamp or i guess whenever vampire weekend has released an album it's been in the same year that the national has released an album so you know whatever year vampire weekend's been putting albums out like usually there'll be a a national album on my top 10 bands that basically are the wussification of rock (laughs) think about it the early 2000s is all about like garage rock yeah and then you had that transition with bands like arcade fire and the lesser Mm -hmm. extent bands like the national who kind of moved rock into a more alternative space bonnie bear bonnie bear animal collective i don't know but man, this is going to be interesting because I've heard I mean, there's seven albums. Is how many they've done total? Because they just came up with a new one. I don't yeah. know if we mentioned that. Yeah, eight, eight counting the new one. Eight counting the new one. Eight counting the new one. And I've heard like three for sure all the way through, yeah. and then two others a little bit for this for this podcast. Also similar to Vampire Weekend, they're releasing their longest album yet this year. Kind of different stakes, though, I think, for this national album, because I think it's actually the shortest turnaround in between albums since, like, Alligator and, and Boxer mm-hmm. over 10 years ago, um, which well, I guess we'll get into when we talk about that album later. I, but I would also say they're both bands that have um, a strong lead singer identity that lean into duets with their album that comes out this year. Yeah, that's true, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of female voices on yeah. both their albums, which is kind of unexpected. Oh, it's, yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> but I'm screwed. Colin, I'm going to force oh, you to oh, do like Oh, a- also, <laughs> we saw them play back-to-back at Sasquatch oh, in 2010. Yeah. pivotal day at Sasquatch. <laughs> the National played, and then Vampire Weekend the played after them. Are yeah. we going to do Broken Social Scene next? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. They were, something. That's important. <laughs> yep. 
I was going to say I'm going to force you to do a Black Keys podcast. Oh, wow. Okay, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I will. Okay, this is... So have you ever watched something? And this is... I'm, I'm going to assume the answer, both of your answers is no. <laughs> have you ever watched something where you're watching like a movie or a TV show or, or a music video? That's the case here. Where someone in that video or piece of media is wearing the exact same shirt you are wearing at that time you are watching it. That's happened to me twice in my life. <laughs> I've never had exactly that moment. Obviously, I had the very specific Sea Wars, Star Wars parody aquarium <laughs> shirt. Which, From, uh, what's that movie called? Um, oh, what is that movie called? Uh, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal solving time travel crimes on a train. Uh, time train? Source code? Source, Source code. code. Um, Who's that? Was that a Duncan Jones movie? Yeah, it was Duncan yeah. Jones. Duncan Jones. It was a good, that was a good movie. But I, yeah, I was watching the latest Black Keys music video, and their drummer has a shirt that I, I own, and I was wearing it. It's like an American, it's like an Eagle Outfitters. No, where did I buy it? H&M, maybe? Yeah. It's like, that's the same shirt. And I had that once, years before, when I was watching Click on TBS, the definitive way to watch Click. Mm. And Adam Sandler's wearing that uh, black Led Zeppelin, um, mm. you know, the Angel, the classic 1977 shirt. I was wearing it at the same time. Yeah. Every time that's ever happened to me, I have to stop and then immediately go tell someone. I do feel like the odds were pretty good for that shirt, though. It's a pretty iconic t-shirt. That one, the other one is way weirder. Yeah. So I'm on the same wavelength as the Black Keys, and they I, have an album coming out. I did just too. remember there was an episode of Silicon Valley where Jared was wearing, like, this gray and purple dress shirt that I own. <laughs> or at least it looked very similar. Dude, I mean, yeah. I mean, other people <laughs> buy the clothes. That, it's not like you buy a shirt. It's the only shirt, that, you know, other people have that shirt. Yeah, least. I think Collins is even kind of weirder because it's just a dress shirt. Like, yeah. as opposed to a graphic tee like John and I have had. It could have been a different company that made the shirt, though. I don't know. Alright, let's, let's strip down this podcast and get to that first album. Taller than you should. The air is thin around your beautiful head. You're saying things with your mouth. I don't, I don't know if we said we're also going to go through the discography of the national album by album and then talk about the. I figured people were just smart enough. To know. Yeah, the same format as as last episode, except we're we're talking about the national. It's a little harder with them because I don't think I had actually gone to the trouble of listening to them until after their fourth album, so I, I don't have a lot of attachment to these first two albums especially. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess we could just first of all talk about the formation of the band, which is okay. kind of interesting. Where They're all a bunch of Ohio guys that ended up in New just York. Just like the Black Keys. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we, we can do it. I'd be down. I just have to listen to a well, lot of albums. But they're like they're like Cincinnati, right? Yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Black Key is like Akron. Yeah. So, so <laughs> proceed. I believe um, the lead singer uh, Matt Berenger met the bass player Scott Devendorf at college. I think it was like a graphic design college or something. Mm -hmm. And this was like the early 90s, and they started playing together. Uh, and then they eventually moved to New York, started working like day jobs at dot-com companies. Like what? I don't know. I don't think it's listed on the <laughs> Wikipedia, which is the, the all quote, I'm using. The quote I remember was Matt saying, um, 
like the appeal of doing a band was like, oh, I wouldn't have to do another meeting about MasterCard ad placements ever again. Um, and then I think at some point, um, Scott's brother, Brian, who's the drummer moved to New York and he had a friendship with one of the Desner brothers who were twins. I can't remember if it was Bryce or Aaron, which is mean cause they've probably been mixed up their entire lives. But, uh, yeah. And, and I think the first album only has Aaron on it. It looks like, um, and Brian. What? When you say the first album cover? Oh, you mean that which who plays on it? Yeah, which Desner brother? I don't know. I'm gonna get all these brothers mixed up. But <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the drummer Brian Devendorf is on the cover. It looks like it's got like the OC font. <laughs> kind of does. It's weirdly like not very representative of the national sound. <laughs> this looks like a like an early Rooney demo. Yeah, he's just <laughs> hanging out in a pool. Hold on to a softball, kind of looking like John Lennon. Um, I can have to zoom in on and, and, and make sure that it's not a guy's head photoshopped onto a woman's body, but it's definitely not. It's definitely all. It's definitely a man. It looks like a man. Yeah, it's pretty hairy. Yeah. Man. Well, I don't know. It just, I don't know. He's got that. He's got a very uh, trim physique. Because <laughs> all men are fat or ripped. <laughs> that's the only way you could look if you're a man. I don't know. That was just how I felt when I saw it. Yeah. It's the 90s, man. They're laid back. I managed to listen to a little bit of this one. Yeah. Because I never had. And it, it surprised me that they had so many more, so many albums before Boxer, which was definitely my introduction to yeah. the National. And I was very surprised that this sounded like very, uh, not lo-fi, but it definitely sounded independent <laughs> is this an independent release yeah i believe it was released on the desner brothers own label um brassland records it has so, you could you can click on brassland yeah, it's got a wikipedia it has <laughs> bands it has like five bands man. yeah um and only the first two albums were released on that label i think they just got tired of running a label in addition to being in a band and it's still working their jobs. It's still working their jobs. Yeah, wow. Um, so yeah, self-produced, self-released. Um, I haven't listened to this first album a ton. I think probably the only reason I have listened to it in the past was because I did a an album retrospective of the National a few years ago, and this album, yeah, it's it's fine. It's 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 pleasant. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of Wilco a little bit. That kind of like folky rock with a, a little bit of a country tinge and like some electronic elements scattered throughout but um i don't know there's not really any songs that that stand out to me here it's just kind of uniformly pleasant I wasn't super blown away by the recording quality yeah the drums sound a little off the whole thing sounds a little thin hmm. and i only listened to uh, ha- like half of it didn't seem like there was like a lot of electric guitars. If there's any, I don't recall. Yeah. A lot of acoustic. Mm-hmm. It's like they just found like a tape recorder in like their <laughs> uncle's basement and like an old acoustic guitar in their uncle's attic, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they made this album by the swimming pool. Um, I think that's actually pretty close to how they do it. Um, <laughs> my my understanding is. I mean, this is coming from having read the Wikipedia earlier today, is that a lot of their albums, or a lot of their process, is still um, 
recording their own stuff separately and sort of postal servicing it amongst themselves. Really? And uh, and so like they they'll like do a guitar track and then send it to Matt and he'll make up some vocals and Are they all allowed to listen to the parts before they add their parts? <laughs> I don't know. Is don't it know like okay, the song's called Pay for Me. <laughs> And then you just gotta think, submit what you think it sounds like. Or I guess I was referring to how Mars Volta would supposedly record their albums, where like you'd know the song, but you're not allowed to hear the other other musicians' parts when you do your part. You're supposed to know it that well. God, which is like the most stressful situation to put your band member in. But these guys strike me as way more casual and laid back. Yeah, and, and and probably that quality also comes through on this one because I think they made this before they were playing live shows. I guess it's also interesting to to bring it back to another band we kind of touched on last episode was that this album came out around the same time as The Strokes, Is This It? Mm-hmm. And I remember in that book I also <laughs> quoted last week, uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, um, Matt Berninger is interviewed in it kind of talking about seeing The Strokes in New York around that time and just being like... Oh, these guys are just so cool. We're we're never gonna be in the same league as as these guys, and I do wonder if that kind of informed their aesthetic. Where like they knew they were never gonna be the coolest band in New York because uh, they, you know, were already almost thirty when this, or at least Matt Berninger was when this album came out, and uh, totally corporate. Yeah, <laughs> totally corporate. I feel like every episode now, as you tell me that a band was like, oh, the Strokes are like, oh, we'll never be as good as the Strokes. And all these bands have eclipsed the Strokes. <laughs> it's just weird, too, yeah. Because it's like, the Strokes have those first two albums. They, there's even a lyric that mentions the first two Strokes albums on this latest national Really? Album. Is it? Yeah. On the latest one? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, weird. <laughs> but, um... I don't know. They were just like the band that kind of kickstarted the whole New York rock scene in the 2000s. And, but they also petered out in, in ways that Vampire Weekend and the National, I don't know, probably saw the Strokes' as success and thought, well, we'll take a bit more you know, strategic, measured approach to our career. And, uh, you know. College-educated jerks. Yeah. Planning out their careers. Uh, how much? How much college did they get through? I didn't get to that part. I don't know. I know there's mention of graphic. Yeah, some graphic design college. I'm not sure, but they went to college. They didn't go think. to like a super fancy school, did they? Doesn't sound like it. Okay, good. So snooty. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to their second album, 2003's "Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers." In a fashion coat, I, I float down my city Don't you think I look pretty anymore? I'll do everything to you Now, do you know why that Bryce Desner doesn't play, or it was only like helping on the first one, but wasn't playing? Because isn't he one of the twins? Yeah. Why would you not? Are, you assume they're equal skill level and everything. <laughs> I think so. Maybe he was just off working on some website. Yeah. <laughs> I I bet that's more likely that it's just like, well, you got to you know dedicate all your time to being in a band because 
Did we say, or did I hear on that first one they were still working? They still weren't like, they weren't doing it, were they doing it full time? Or they... It doesn't sound like it. I don't think it was till Alligator okay. maybe that they quit okay. their day So even, even on this next album, they're still like working working stiffs. Yeah. Blue collar slobs. <laughs> this is one I didn't hear. Sell it to me. Don't. Skip. <laughs> really? Why? I think this one's underrated, honestly. I like this album. There's some... Okay, there are at least two songs here that I really love. Um, Fashion Code. A really short song, but really like punchy and I don't know, catchy. It's it's got some, some some cool wordplay. Uh, Lucky you, uh, the song that finishes the album is also like a. It's a really nice like ballad. I kind of assume it's about Matt Berninger's wife, probably girlfriend at the time, um, Karen, who has co-written some of the songs and. I don't know. It just just seems like a lot of Matt Furniture's songs are about her and like you know an adult relationship, which it's not always like the the subject of rock songs. Yeah. So I was I I was like I don't remember this album at all. So I was listening mm-hmm. to it on the drive home today. Literally, I'm on Fashion Code. Love so it. I just stopped right before Damn I got it. to your song. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, there and there are like a few more more rockin songs uh, murder me rachel i think stands out it's got kind of like a wild violin part going on in the background too so yeah, that more, one stood out to me too. yeah so more electric guitars than the first album but uh it's a it's a little all over the place i mean the national definitely settled into a kind of more uniform sound i think on the next few albums but this one kind of sees them just like trying different things but not quite you know fitting into that that one singular national sound that that we know them for yeah maybe that's why i'm like who cares yeah because <laughs> it doesn't quite they, sound like they have that consistent sound uh like especially since high violet i feel like everything since high violet could basically be one album for me maybe <laughs> um, but alligator and boxer too go together really well Mm-hmm. Gotta say, Colin, I'm not super impressed by the album sales number here. I don't know why they have to point out it's sold <laughs> for a self-released independent release. But, it, but it's like it's almost like rubbing it in, like someone wrote it out of spite. As of 2010, the album has sold an approximate 27,000 copies. Well, 2010 though—that's kind of when the band broke out. Yeah, maybe they sold more since. Then. Well, I'm sure they have, but no, that was it. Everybody stopped. They're like it went out of print. Yeah. I mean, there's like something worth it to print more. 2010 was our year. Yep. But it seems like, oh, actually, this one is kind of critically all over the place, <laughs> like good and like bad. That's yeah. crazy. Like some people are like it's really good, and some people are like, oh. I feel like uh, it's one of those albums that you get that gets bonus points in retrospect just because you you already know you like the national so you go back and you can just see see the good parts of it yeah. it's very hard to assess that like what it would have been like if this was their latest album if you were back in 2003 <laughs> it's like did you see that new the national album it's got rainbows on it it's just so weird because i think of the national as a fairly consistent band yeah. so it's interesting to see how they started out it's not bad i don't mean to call it bad <laughs> Did you say skip it? You did say skip it. <laughs> Without listening to the entire 
very informed. <laughs> like, I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine. He was like, it's not bad. Skip it. <laughs> it's just like, I'm trying to get to the good stuff. I, as far as I know, you haven't listened to Alligator yet. I love Alligator. I listen to it. Okay. sounded more like the national I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Like, the band announces themselves with secret meeting. Like, check this shit out. We figured it out. We cracked the code. Yeah, and this is when I was like, I was really getting in on those lyrics. They're very, like, poety, cerebrally, like, you're like, how smart are you? Like, do you even know? <laughs> Can you, do you know what this means? Yeah. It's probably not that hard to decipher. But uh, it wasn't bad. It's was just interesting. I just made note of that. You know, this got me thinking. This is uh, mm-hmm. not to go on a tangent, but it will. So obviously, this kind of singing that Matt Berenger does, it kind of has that like, I don't know where you put the roots to that. It, like maybe kind of post punk was kind of maybe like that, where it's almost like yeah. a croon. But then it makes me think back even further to like Jim Morrison. And it kind of reminds me like of how Jim Morrison would sing, and how, so that makes me wonder, Colin, how come you don't like the Doors? <laughs> I, I feel like there's a there's a connection somewhere. Maybe in there. I don't know. Poety, croonery singing styles, the kind of singing where like you don't have to finish the word, you can kind of trail off on the word. Word, the end. You don't have to finish it. Yeah, you're not belting it out like Neil Diamond. I just like. Matt Berdinger's lyrics, but I don't. I also don't feel like he thinks they're brilliant. You think Jim Morrison thinks they're? I think Jim Morrison thinks his dumbass lyrics are brilliant. Indian graveyard, exactly. On <laughs> the desert Matt Berdinger is more just like a like it's poetic, but he's like a schlubby poet. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't. This this is probably isn't the right time to bring it up, but the mistaken for strangers documentary kind of made me think that Matt Branger has a bit of an ego. He definitely is trying to put on a persona a bit. Yeah. I don't know, is there a better album to talk about that movie? What's the closest? I figured we'd talk about it after um, High Violet. I Let's think touch on it again after High filmed. Violet and I'll, I'll yeah. finish that thought. Let's talk about Alligator. Uh, I feel like you guys in particular, big, I mean maybe a lot of people are really into this. Yeah, when we did our top 10 albums of the 2000s rock talk maybe a year or two ago this was the national album i went with that was on my list i uh yeah i really love it and it was i think my introduction to the band um i'm trying to remember when i got into them i think it was maybe june or not june uh, january or february of 2010 (laughs) Uh, a little bit, a little bit before High Violet came out, just because I was seeing a lot of end of the decade lists with lots of bands on them that I hadn't listened to because I spent a lot of the two thousands listening to older music. So and I, the Strokes I, and the Strokes sounds pretty much it for new music I listened to then. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of going on this tear of of going through like the two thousands and picking out bands that I hadn't really spent much time with and. I think I just saw that like Alligator was the highest album on whatever Pitchfork's best albums of the 2000 yeah. was, and so I I just went with that one, and 
I think when I first heard it, it, it had kind of the same, <laughs> the same sensation listening to it as most of their albums where I could tell I liked it, but I, I, like, I, I wasn't sure why or how, <laughs> like I knew I needed to spend some time with it before the songs really sunk in because you know they have a more subtle approach to to instrumentation and and songwriting and yeah the more and more i listened to it i, I really loved it and um i don't know i just remember listening to it while riding the bus while in college and just like getting into it and and kind of getting into boxer at the same time since they're both out by then i don't know if this is the best place to bring this up but something i was thinking about when i was listening to this album today and I, I feel this way about a lot of national albums, is very intriguing rhythm, like yeah. percussion. Like it's I, always I, like kind of it's not the most conventional pattern no. you always expect for the drums. It's always kind of a unique I, I really um, like Brian Devendorf's drumming. It is kinda it's, I think he cited um, the guy from Joy Division and New Order as kind of an influence, and it has that kind of almost dancey flavor with like lots of. I think I was thinking about that too, Sean, when you mentioned that they're earlier on they were like sending each other stuff. It's like I can imagine like, oh, check this shit out. Try to fit that together. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things that stands out about their sound because it'd be so easy for a band like this that's often mellow and moody and slower. To have a very kind of just understated you drums. You can almost imagine it just not having drums. <laughs> just like one little symbol. To yeah. Use. But no, it's always something unique and interesting, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Uh, My Great Mystery, the end of Secret Meeting, mm-hmm. when he's going, it went all a wicked way, whatever he's saying. Yeah. There's also in the background, you hear other people yelling, oh, what the fuck are they yelling? You really don't know. <laughs> Damn it, Colin. <laughs> we could try to get to the bottom of it, it's, but that seems like a waste it's of just time. Like, ah, ah, <laughs> yep, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. We've listened to it a lot. <laughs> Never been able to decipher it. I think I missed that. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> this, this is a bit more yelling Mars than alligator. Martians. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Mr. November's like all yelled. Oh, yeah. Yelling's yeah. cool. And I, I think something this album's marked by a little bit more than a lot of their other ones is it feels a little more like a rock album because it has songs like Mr. November or Able or Lit Up that are, that are you know, louder. <laughs> Got some electric guitars and, and yeah, Matt Berninger kind of like does a little, little bit of screaming. <laughs> um, but yeah, also one thing I kind of wanted to ask for each of these albums going forward is uh, favorite tracks for each album just because I don't know if there's a right answer for each national album as far as what's like the best tracks because they're not really a singles band. Um, the two that stand out to me are Looking for Astronauts mm-hmm. and Mr. November. Especially because Mr. November brings me back to being hopeful about politics because it was one of the Barack Obama campaign songs. Mm, yeah, Remember they even played for him at one of his things? Yeah, I can't remember what. They've played at like Obama rallies and stuff. Just a rally. They're they're kind of politically active, even though their songs aren't like that overtly political. Except for Miss November. Don't ask me this question. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Always be whatever the most famous song on the album is. (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd probably say Mr. November. Um, 
I like Karen a lot and, and Secret Meeting. Is Mr. November a political thing? It's not about like... No, that was Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Figured that one out myself. Yeah, I mean, Mr. November <laughs> could be a baseball thing if you're really good in like the last three games of the World Series. <laughs> but, very specifically, Derek Jeter. Yeah. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna Google baseball, Mr. November. I think Derek Jeter maybe has been called Mr. November yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, I know baseball. You know baseball. <laughs> Derek right. Jeter. Yeah, he is officially Mr. November. Wow. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's important to me that albums start good. <laughs> uh, very few albums will I stick around with. Obviously, <laughs> as we just learned with the. Uh, Sad songs, if, if all the best stuff's at the end of the album. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you that those first few songs are also really good. Yeah, I feel like they pretty much always have a really good song. <laughs> song one on each of their albums. Um, should we move on to Boxer? Boxer. 2007. much got into it around the same time as uh, Alligator so for me it, it kind of feels like a, a volume two of, of Alligator but it, it's different in its own unique ways but it's still like you know them continuing that that same sound that they really hit upon on on Alligator I found out about this album from the place that I found out about all great albums back in the day the Crossroads Mall newsstand. Was it in Spin Magazine? It could have been. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember the review being like, this is the greatest album you'll ever hear. And I was like, whoa. And then I went home and listened to Fake Empire. I was like, this is pretty good. And then I didn't listen to the album for like three years. <laughs> but I was like, this is pretty good. This is weird. This seems like, it's like, it feels like it's like kind of off, like with the percussion. Oh, the yeah. Piano. Yeah. It's another example of the kind of the, the interplay between one part and another. And, but it kind of works in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of the definitive uh, national song, at least. I mean, yeah. not for yeah. for maybe people that don't know the national, maybe I'm sure for like true national fans, like it's actually this song is the real apartment story official song. Yeah. I mean, the documentary was called a "Mistaken for Strangers," so maybe that's it. But or maybe it's just a good title, considering what that is about. "Mistaken mm-hmm. for Strangers" was the first single on this album, so. That's so weird. I don't know how you'd pick it over Fake Empire. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just it's a banger, felt, man. Maybe it just felt like such of a <laughs> such a album opener that they weren't sure. Uh, yeah, maybe you're like they're gonna get to it anyway. If they buy the record, at least they're gonna hear Fake Empire. <laughs> I I already forgot where you guys weighed in on um, is this better or worse or the same as Alligator. For me, it's a little bit of a step backwards. Not a big one, just a little tiny Why bit. Why is that? I just feel like it's a little subtler, a little a little bit less personality in it. But it, it does seem like it's the most acclaimed, though. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's no, no one's wrong here, but why do you think... So if you think it's a step back, why do you think so many people think it's a step forward? What is it about this album that... And I present that question to anyone. I think it may have to do with... It feels like the album where 
critics had kind of caught on to the national like i don't think alligator when it came out was a huge critical or or commercial success but maybe by the time boxer had come out enough critics and and indie rock fans had, had checked it out and they're were, they're were ready mm-hmm. and then this album came out that's in my opinion basically as good as alligator i think i like alligator a little more but to answer your question i think my answer would be the same in terms of quality um so maybe just like i don't know because people were more <laughs> ready for it, it it felt like like a pivotal moment for the band okay that's my theory yeah thought. it's not like a kid a amnesiac situation yeah it does seem like it was just good timing mm-hmm. somehow just building to this I mean, it reached me somehow. Yeah, got I found out about it. What was your favorite song on the album? Oh. <laughs> I like that it was your example of the one the true national fan would say. It's apartment <laughs> story. <laughs> I just really like the lyrics and the fact that it kind of builds and builds, but it, but it doesn't seem like it's a song that should build and build to like this anthemic thing because it's a song about just like not going outside and hanging out in your apartment with your significant other just like watching tv and listening to records but uh, i don't know it's, it's just that seems kind of like what a what a typical national album should be about about kind of the more mundane aspects of of adult relationships um but yeah man fake empires fucking great love it um mm-hmm. I love that album cover. I think that came up when we were talking about our favorite album covers. Yeah. On a previous podcast. And again, it's it's a thing that I feel like is very representative of this band is you know a more adult rock band, you know. They're they're singing about people getting married and and kind of the onset of, of middle age, but uh yeah. Do you think most national fans are older than we are? I don't know. That's weird for me because they are like they are Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they very much appeal to to millennials like us, and I don't. I'm not sure why that is. <laughs> Maybe I'm it's sure. just because they they like they seem very true to themselves. Like they don't seem like they're trying to be cool or to appeal to a younger audience. They just seem very comfortable with with where they you know are when they're writing and recording these songs. And I don't know. Wow, Matt Berninger is almost 50. I know. <laughs> That's amazing considering they started in the early 2000s. Yeah. So they, I guess they all would have been in their 30s by the time, mid to late 30s maybe, when this yeah. album came out. So have hope. Yeah. <laughs> Not all rock bands have to be young and sexy. Go in your uncle's basement, grab that guitar. Yep. I guess another band that The National kind of remind me of in that regard who I also was obsessed with at the time and also played at that Sasquatch, but I didn't even see was the Hold Steady. He's just such a Colin Van. I know. <laughs> Another... How do you... Def- so you define a Colin Van as like kind of more... more less adult. flashy, more sophisticated, more <laughs> um, introspective. I guess, but I mean, I, I talked about how much I love Vampire Weekend last, last episode too. Like, I'll, I'll take them both, really, but... For some reason, when I was in my early 20s, I was just into these guys in their 30s playing rock music. I, I don't know why, but... Well, I mean, you're a writer. These are bands that have talented lyricists. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. 
Something about him. Shall we move on to High Violet? Well, it was a digital copy, actually, because yeah. I just got, I remember when this came out, and I'd just gotten my MacBook, hmm. my first MacBook, my first laptop computer, and I think at that point, I knew we were going to go see them uh, in concert, Yeah. so I remember I bought this, and I bought Patton Oswalt's Werewolves and Lollipops, and I bought This Is Happening, LCD Sound uh, System, who also played that Sasquatch, just not the day we went, yeah. which is and crazy that we didn't see that. Pat Oswald was at that Sasquatch. And he was at that Sasquatch. <laughs> what else did I get? One day! <laughs> do we want to open with that one, that our Sasquatch, or do we want to build towards that? We want to start with talking about this album. I mean, that, that Sasquatch was definitely my first real exposure to the band. Mm-hmm. First time I really gave him a chance. Uh... And that's probably why I ignore the first two albums is because they didn't play any songs from them. <laughs> they only went from Boxer well, on. Sure, they did, right? Here, no, they, they didn't. They I mean, didn't. The interesting thing the about those two albums is the National kind of stopped acting like they exist. <laughs> like I'm sure they haven't played a single song from those two albums in the last ten years. <laughs> like they they just don't play the, the songs. Was that 2010? Yeah. On my birthday. Are you looking up the set list? It was on my twenty first birthday that we went to that. Really? Wow. Uh, they played "Mistaken for Strangers," "Anyone's Ghost," "Blood Buzz Ohio," "Afraid of Everyone," "Secret Meeting," "Squalor Victoria," "Conversation 16," "Apartment Story," "Able," "England," "Fake Empire," "Mr. November," and "Terrible Love." Yep. Yeah, that's all. A lot of the most famous songs on those albums. I mean, it was a, a festival set, so they only probably had to play for like an hour, hour and, and a half. And they were like third on the final stage, right? Third, third to last. Third from last. Yeah. yeah. Not, th- not like they didn't play like <laughs> noon. Yeah. <laughs> um. It also has my favorite all-time uh, national song. I've said it before. Do you know what it is? Does anyone know what my favorite national song is? I'll give you a hint. It's their first ever pop song, <laughs> according to the national. At that show, he said it. Is it anyone's ghost? It is anyone's ghost. That's my favorite national song. Oh, that's Bern- a good Bern- choice. Bern- I like that this is, he, he just said... This is the first pop song we've ever written. And then they just played it. <laughs> it is a little, like, slightly more untempo, uh, up-tempo and a little more conventional than your yeah. national song. It's still pretty moody, though. It's still, yeah. Anyone's ghost, I wanna be, yeah. Love that song. Yeah. I love this album. This is probably, this, I don't know if this is my favorite. I feel like, I, for me, I feel like I know Boxer's better, but this was the, my <laughs> my first one that I really actually listened to like more than once yeah and, and and really enjoyed that show and that was such a memorable experience going to that just that whole concert we could do a whole podcast just talking about that <laughs> one day of sasquatch i went to because i went to sasquatch um years later like 2014 mm-hmm. yeah 2014 and I went all days and none of the and all three of those days were not as good as that one day <laughs> when we saw and uh, god I don't, I don't know if i've ever told you guys this though but at that um uh, when I went those three days, you know who was uh, playing? The National were playing again. 
And we, we said, let's just go home. It's, I'm tired. <laughs> I felt so bad. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, but that had like outcasts. But it was kind of like at that point, it was like all over the place, right? <laughs> like that one day we went to Sasquatch. It was so it's like, like yes. in tune with all the this kinds is, of music we liked. This is 2010 indie rock. Yeah. Mostly you know, New York Vampire bands. Weekend, Orange Jacket, Broken Social Scene. Uh, I got to see OK Go, who I really liked at yeah. the time. I didn't even Edward get to Sharp. see the Hold Steady. Hold steady. Yeah, they're on the loser stage. <laughs> Would you think they'd still be on that stage? If I don't know if they're even a thing anymore. They are, but it doesn't seem like they tour. It seems like they just play around New York. Now. I think I think they put them on the main stage, but earlier in the day, yeah. like my how like minus the bear plays like on the main stage, but like it's you know whenever she's kind of hanging out. Or last time I went like. Haim was on the main stage, but it was like at two p.m. and people are just still just kind of hanging out. So yeah. it's interesting to think about when you go to a concert, like a festival, and then years later, like I wonder how, like how it would be different if we rearrange these bands in terms of level of success. I feel like the National just keeps getting. I don't know if they're more popular than they've ever been, but they're definitely. I feel like a band that most people know now. Like they're fairly yeah. famous. I don't know how famous they were when this came out. They're definitely like in, if you were like in tune with indie music, you definitely yeah. knew the national. In my mind, this was kind of their breakout album, even though it's not it's not a pop album by any means. In fact, it's like Just by one of I know it's it's like one of their I would say moodier sort of melancholy albums, but. I think it was just the fact that they had had this run that they were just like building more and more momentum with each album and each album was very good and and this one was also another really good album um and yeah it's just a, a kind of unique <laughs> arc to their career where it was it, like almost like a national song it was kind of a slow burn yeah well, I can tell you that in its first week of sales, High yeah. Violet sold 51,000, which if you recall, <laughs> that second album at 2010 had only sold like 27,000. And that was for like over years. Granted, the record industry had probably <laughs> dipped in, in prominence by this Also, point. this charted, at, I'm gonna, I want to look this up at every album we look at after mm. this, charted at number three on the Billboard 200. That's wow. pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's, so, that's, yeah, I, 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 I think you're right. Good. We're like, Boxer was like their critical breakthrough, but this is like their commercial breakthrough. Yeah. Somehow, for some reason, <laughs> I know. There's, there's no huge singles on it or anything. It's just they just they just, just keep work. building momentum, I guess. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about the album cover. We're not talking enough about the album covers. I don't have much to talk about on this. So yeah. Uh, it's got a bunch of squiggles. Love yeah, it. Just looks it's like all a squiggly art installation. Yeah, there's a time when I had barely any like, albums on my iTunes that you know, I actually paid for, and this is one of them. I got to look at this and be like, I paid for this. I paid for this. <laughs> this I own this now. Yeah. This belongs to me. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that this um, album came out so close to that show, too. It came out May 10th, and we saw them on May 29th. So this brings up something. I'm glad you said this, John, because I know... Uh, seasonality is an important part of media consumption for both of you guys <laughs> yes and especially in colin's case i know you consider this to be a fall and winter group Man, yeah always all every fall and winter i put on at the least fuck a national they, album or two why the fuck do they keep putting their albums They're out in the, spring? in the spring <laughs> the only time they've ever put one out like near fall or winter was a the album before this newest one sleep well beast but yeah it's always fall or not fall it's always spring yeah. or summer it's like 
April or May. And so a lot of times I'll listen to it, a, you know, a bit when it comes <laughs> out, but I'll just be like, uh, I'm not really going to get into this for six months or so. And that's that's always a weird sensation. I guess I just assume that they record it during the winter and then it ends up coming out in the spring. That must be it. So they say so they got those winter vibes while they're they're in the studio. But I definitely had that experience with the next album where you were like, I think you said like I'm just gonna put this on the shelf for six months to come back to it. <laughs> yeah. And then like one day I was like waiting for the bus after class and I was like I should listen to that album again. I was like oh fuck yeah it's like way more way more good now. <laughs> It's so cold out. It's so good now. It's pretty weird. Yeah, they're 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 a great winter band, which are not always the easiest kinds of bands to find. What was your favorite song on High Violet? Um, I think my favorite is England. Um, it just has that then, you know. I guess like Apartment Story, it has that thing where it just builds and builds this sweeping orchestral thing. I've always thought that piano part at the beginning of it sounds a lot like the piano part on the first song on Sufjan Stevens' album, Illinois, which is interesting because I'm pretty sure Sufjan appears on this album. I don't know if he gave them like the... What? Wait, really? The, the okay. I mean, there are a lot of people on this album. Wow, there's a lot of people. Yeah. It was... Sufjan plays harmonium, vocals, backing vocal arrangements on Afraid of Everyone. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That was your pick. <laughs> no, mine was Anyone's Guess. Anyone's Guess. Very similar titles. <laughs> <laughs> also, I didn't notice, I haven't been keeping track of this, self-produced. Seems like they mm-hmm. always have a hand in that, at least. But I don't know if this was the first legit one that was self-produced. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those first two were self-produced. <laughs> yeah. But this is like a pretty polished record for being self-produced. Yeah. For sure. So they know their way around the studio. All right, we're going on to my, my last national album. <laughs> this is where I last checked in. All right, so 2013's <laughs> Trouble Will Find Me. May 17th. Yeah, again, right on time for summer. <laughs> 2013. Sweet album cover. It's a face in a mirror, and there's like another face. I love it. Yeah. Is this one that has a song that's like... It's like the guitar is like not quite in sync with the vocals. You know what I'm saying? Is that the song... I'm try- I can't do of, both at Sea once. of Love? Is that the one? Mm. Where, where they say, Trouble will fall. I think so, yeah. Okay, so then... If that's the lyric, then yeah, it's on this one, isn't it? That's a good song. Yeah, I love that song. That's my favorite song. Make sure I had to get that out of the way. A little little more rockin' than uh, the high-violet stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, Some feels maybe a little more like a pop album, I guess. I guess at least compared to High Violet where it's a little more orchestral and sweeping and kind of darker and moody. I mean, it's still an Ashla album, so it has those elements, but I don't know. The songs in here seem a little more accessible maybe than some of the ones on uh, on High Violet. But, yeah, this is kind of like... Am I sensing a step backward? <laughs> Sean, is this a step backward? 
Or is this just, just a little bit? Just a yeah, little bit. it's more like a step sideways. <laughs> I was going to say that. Just think of that. Yeah, we're using lost terminology. Because the thing is, like, every rock band peaks and, and, you know, has their best album. And I think for the National, it's always going to be Alligator and Boxer. I know we got some, some high violet heads in the house here. We sure do. <laughs> but, uh,. I, you know, I have a hard time knocking this off at all just because it's impressive that they've kept up the consistency quality-wise um, on what was like their sixth album, but they're they're still doing good stuff. I'm so sorry, The National, that I didn't see you that night. They were, they were headlining that night. Wow. They were the last band. Hmm. I think they are playing after... MIA. Yeah. See, that's the problem. Sasquatch kind of got a little out of hand those last couple of years. So it's just going years. in any order. Yeah. There wasn't the strong theme days like there used to be. But that definitely shows that they had, even from the last album, got from a, a space where they could be the, the third to last band to the last band. Yeah. So I don't know if we're at the peak of popularity or if that's yet to, if, we're, if we've still been sitting in that space since High Violet. In my mind, this, I don't know if they're just as popular is, as they've ever been right now. Yeah, in my mind, this is kind of their their moment as an established band. Everybody likes them. They're putting out an album, another very good one. Uh, it feels like the peak of the national popularity-wise, if not quite critical-wise, even though it's still a pretty critically liked album. They probably also got a bump um, between High Violet and this. They put out a song called Exile Vilify, which I don't even know if that's one you guys have heard. But Is that the Game of Thrones song? No. <laughs> okay. They, they have a ton of nerd cred. Um, <laughs> this song uh, is the one they put out in the video game Portal 2, mm. which apparently the way that happened was they were like, we'd like to do a song for Valve. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite national songs, actually. It's hmm. very sad and bleak. <laughs> I think they might have done a song for Bob's Burgers also. Oh, did they? I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Maybe I'm... Now, the Hold Steady that, also did a Game of Thrones that's song. That's true. Yeah. Colin, so it's... The bear and the It's like they were trying to get me into Game of Thrones, but I just... I just couldn't do it. Yeah, Dude did one. Florence and the Machine did one this year, but you're not a big Florence and the Machine head. Well, they had like that whole like Game of Thrones album this year that everyone hated. I didn't even know about that. I mean, I don't think most of the songs were actually on the show. It's like songs inspired by the oh, show, and I heard it was really bad. No, I, I, I want to say it had like The Weekend and songs oh, like that. No. <laughs> so this is 2013. Is that the singer mistaken for strangers? The documentary came out. It was. I'm yes. Looking at that now. That's like my favorite national related thing. <laughs> is that is that documentary? I, I believe that was my third, maybe even second favorite movie of that year when we did our end of year list. I love that documentary. Yeah. Um, directed by Matt Berninger's brother. What was his name? Tom. Tom, who's basically the black sheep of his family fuck up filmmaker. And I think that like earlier when we were talking about Jim, how Jim Morrison like thinks he's so cool, but Matt Berninger doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of got this vibe from this movie, and I love this movie so much that Matt Berger kind of came off as a little bit of a diva every now and then. I know that his brother definitely like comes off as like an idiot, so it's kind of like it probably would be easy to kind of act like the smarter one in every situation because yeah. definitely is. And you do have to wonder if 
you know, because it's a movie. <laughs> if Tom Berger kind of framed it that way, that he's like this big rock star. That's true. Now. I mean, that's the thing. Editing can be deceiving. Yeah, it's also a crazy dynamic to be like giving your brother a job and letting him have so much access that you probably wouldn't give anyone else. I'm sure that goes to your head and changes the way you act. I mean, I know I act differently with my brothers, and I'm not even paying them. Yeah, I I guess part of it could just be getting, like, fed up with with him, his brother. Because I remember those parts where I, like, asked him a question. He's like, that's a stupid question. Why would you ask me a question? I love the interviews. They're so good. He asks questions. What are you trying to get by asking me that question? He's asking himself, like, why do you think you're a good band? It's like, like, how do you answer that? Oh my god, it's so good. But then there's like those moments too where like he has to like no one can talk to him before the show. Like he has to get in the right headspace. I mean, like everyone has their own process. Yeah. I don't think he comes off as bad. I just think he comes off as a little bit of a diva. Yeah. I, I still really like him and like the band. Well, and you can see how much their live performances had changed. Like the stuff he was doing. Yeah. And, like, God, that moment near the end where um, he's like holding his microphone, he's going, they're going out through the crowd yeah, into like the lobby. That's such a powerful, like, great sequence. I love that. That's the, that's the scene that I always think of the most when they're going through the whole crowd. Yeah. And he's got the microphone wire. It's so cool. <laughs> so cool. So old. He's probably in his 40s at that point. <laughs> is Tom, I assume Tom is, is younger, right? Yeah, he's got to be. I assume so. Do you think he feels bad? Not, not Todd Berenger. <laughs> you think Todd Berenger feels bad? <laughs> Just in general. I think his career's worked out okay. He was an Inception. That's the last time I saw him. He was an Inception. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting that, you know, and we haven't really touched on this. I don't know how important it is to the conversation that the Nationals is a band of brothers. Yeah, literally. <laughs> That came out weird, yeah. like, like the mini like series. Though there's HBO identical probably. twins, the other brothers are are they're not twins, though, right? No, it sounds like um, Scott is the older brother. So it was interesting younger. when you found out that Matt Berninger also had a brother. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Wasn't in the band. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny because in the documentary, he doesn't seem into the music at all he's, yeah he's, I he's like into rock and, yeah metal that's it yeah. <laughs> he likes metal I'm gonna look up Tom Berninger see if he's still uh... I mean if he doesn't do anything else again that's such an amazing documentary sounds like he mostly helps out on other films he was a production assistant on Taking Woodstock I feel like we haven't talked a whole lot about this album it was a sideways step that's what yeah, we talked about it was another like pretty solid album that but... one song got to me and I don't know I I'd probably just got distracted by something and then forgot to keep kept putting them off and here we are however many years later and i was like oh i got these national albums i gotta catch up with yeah doing these podcasts always makes me want to dive back into like we did a vampire weekend episode and i was diving back into the albums after he listened so i'm hoping this has the same effect where i can hear a lot of these for the first time do we want to move on to the next one favorite song graceless that's a good one you Oh, you weren't prepared for that, huh? Yeah, well, I really like "Sea of Love," even though it's one of the singles. Yeah. It's not, I'm not cool anymore. I think um, part of what I like about High Violet, and but, but I guess all the national albums that I like, is that it has a really good first track. Yeah, uh, I should live in salt. It's really good. I should live in salt from this one. It's awesome. like a weird time signature. It's like seventeen eight time, which makes sense when you listen to it. Can't even count that high. Yeah, I know. 
I really like Pink Rabbits too. It's kind of like a jazzier national song. Yeah, those, those deep cuts those right deep at the bottom. Cuts, yep. <laughs> Alright, tell me why I should listen to this next one. I don't need you, I don't need you. Besides, I barely ever see you anymore. And when I do, it feels like you're only halfway there. Young mothers love me, even ghosts of girlfriends call from Cleveland. They will meet me anytime. I mean, I feel like this was a hard sell for me, even when it came out. It's, but it's fall. It came out in fall. I know. Pretty it's close. Perfect. Or about it, fall. It, it, September. It's, just... it's actually still summer. Yeah. But still, close enough. It, it was the point where I wasn't sure do, do I still have time in my life for the national I mean this is uh, post 2016 so I'm like yeah. do I need to listen to a band full of a bunch of old white guys like hearing what they have to say I don't know but this one I, I may have underrated it at the time. I think I put it at like number ten on my top ten albums of that year. But I, the more I listen to it, I, I really like it. it. It sees them expanding on their sound a little bit. It's kind of the first time since those early albums where you hear some more electronic elements. There's some some drum machines on tracks, but used in a pretty subtle way that I feel like fits really well with their sound. It doesn't sound like they're they're trying too hard to break out of their box. They're just incorporating other elements. I guess this also came after Matt Berninger was in that band El Vi, which was kind of more electronic leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, With the Menomina guy. Yeah. <laughs> Menomina. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about the thing from The Muppet Show? No, it's just some indie band that I've never listened to. But okay. kind You of guys got to plug into the Portland scene. Yeah. Well, I know the Muppet Show. <laughs> I don't know this band. Phenomena. <laughs> Ooh, Sleepwell Beast won a Grammy, so it must be their best album. Yeah, I was looking up the the albums it beat. <laughs> Fuck. It, be, it went no. up against um, Humans by Gorillaz, which I do not like. <laughs> Everything Now by Arcade Fire, which is like, yeah, I don't think we're all done with Arcade Fire now. <laughs> yeah. And then two albums I like a lot. Pure comedy, Father John Misty. Mm. I would like to see Father John Misty talk to Matt Berninger. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for some reason that'd be really intellectually like tough. It'd be like they're ta- they'd be talking telepathically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then one of my another one of my favorite albums. I think Pure Comedy was my favorite album of that year. And this other one was like my second favorite was American Dream LCD Sound System. Mm-hmm. But this one, yeah, was LCD Sound System at that day at. No, they're at the second day. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> they're at that weekend. I think they were at that weekend. But like we, we had all the days, and the day we went was the best day for us to go. It's it's so crazy. I mean, we're now. still talking about it almost ten I know. years it's, later. It's, 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 I, don't, I haven't gone to a lot of festivals, but all the festivals I've gone to, and I've seen Bob Dylan. Like it's the most memorable one I've ever gone to. Yeah, but like that weekend also had pavement and LCD sound system. <laughs> wow. And here's the thing: those tickets were like. 70-ish maybe yeah. 78 at the most and at the time I was like that's pretty expensive <laughs> but when Autumn and I went to Sasquatch that second time uh, we went for free We went, she like won some like promotion thing but tickets were like $300 a day they were that much more expensive it was like a thousand no it was more than that I think it was like a thousand bucks to go the whole weekend 
It was insane. And here we are, like, oh, 78, man. Well, I guess I get to see all these bands. Like, we could have just dropped like another the most $70. Beautiful place to see yeah. the show. If we just dropped another $70, $80, we could have seen Pavement and LCD Sound System. How many times did you get to see Pavement? Not, not many. Did we know that at the time? That Pavement wouldn't ever get back together again? Or had you, had you, or were you that big of a Pavement fan yet? I mean, I knew all the Pavement albums. I feel like you were. I feel like I'm not yeah. sure. I feel like Kong was going to stay. Every time I saw clips from that tour, they seemed pretty bad. <laughs> like oh, they no. didn't give a shit. <laughs> they maybe just did it like as just as a laugh, just for the money. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I really regret not seeing Pavement on that reunion tour. I'm looking. I'm trying to look at find a poster from that Sasquatch, and all the images are like super small. Mm. My morning jacket has top billing over every single band. Wow! It's like a poster that has every band that played it, and they're on the top. That's crazy to think about now. Despite everyone leaving during their set after Vampire Weekend, it just went on so long. And they're followed by Massive Attack and Pavement, and then Ween and Vampire Weekend. Those are the top bands. I've like met people that went that were also there that that day, and they all nobody stayed for my wing jacket. Everyone was a red dead mouse. God, also MGMT was there. Band of Horses, Tegan and Sarah. Yeah, Passion Pit. Everyone, everyone was there. Everyone. Justin Vernon shows up on Sleep Well Beast. I think I saw him on High Violet. Hell yeah! Yeah, get him in there. Get him in everything. It was weird, like re-listening to all the national albums this past week after me and john had kind of talked about how it was kind of weird now hearing vampire weekend with all these other people playing on their songs but the national been doing it for like three or four albums now where there's just like a ton of other people playing on their songs which i I don't know what their touring musician situations like i know i feel like they've had a brass section touring with them for a while um um, we've talked about the artwork a few times, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that Sleep Well Beast has a whole corporate branding style guide produced for it by the design firm Pentagram, which is sort of the thing that I do for work. Wow. Wait, wait, explain that again. What? There, what? It's like a corporate style guide. It's like here's the fonts we use, here's the sorts of oh. iconography we use. It's, um, I think it's done as like a parody for. Mm. Maybe it's a self-referential parody because that, mm-hmm. that's sort of the background yeah. that some of the guys in the band had. Yeah, um, this is a fantastic album cover. <laughs> this might be their best album cover. Well, I mean, if you like that, go Google the Pentagram Sleep Well Beast style guide and just check out. Like literally, they'll like break down the colors to use and the fonts, and <laughs> uh, you know they have that that house shape that's the yeah. the icon. Mm-hmm. I actually have this album on vinyl, and it's a, it's a good package, well put together. <laughs> some some good art on there. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. They're breaking this shit down. Damn, man. Who knew that their graphic design background would still serve them <laughs> as as a rock band? <laughs> um. So, anyways, th- there was a four year gap in between High Violet. Or not High Violet. Trouble Will Find Me and Sleep Well Beast. High Violet Part 2. Yeah. So you would think, well, there's probably going to be a pretty big gap between Sleep Well Beast and the next national album, especially 
since they're getting older, seem to, I don't know, be living in different parts of the country now. But no, we got this new national album. You had your soul with you. I was in no mood. Drift away and I could forget. Less than two years, actually, that since the uh, the last one. And their fourth album released in May. Uh, Give you a track. What? Their fourth album that was that's been released oh, yeah. in May, not this. May, <laughs> not this obviously. May, but in, in general, in a May. In a May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like all their albums either come out in May, April, or September. <laughs> this, is, this is the good months for some. So movie. at least they respect not to put out in the summer, just around the summer. Yeah. I mean, it's close enough that it might as well be summer. But. Well, it's like, it's good, not quite summer music for me. Yeah. It's like, it's nice out. Like, it's pretty out, but it's not like super warm. It's not hot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crisp. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool at night. Yeah. So this is pretty new, so obviously I haven't heard it. What's it like? Uh, as I said, it's long. Um, it sounds like the reason there was kind of this short turnaround is because like I think from what little interviews I've read surrounding it they were actually planning on taking a pretty long hiatus um, after Sleep Well Beast but then they got involved with the film director Mike Mills who's actually a producer on the album and he's directed movies like Beginners and 20th Century Women and he started doing this short film sort of kind of based on um, the songs that they were writing or, or maybe the National were also kind of writing songs based on the idea for this short film. I'm not really sure but I, I guess that maybe spurred a new kind of creative process for the National since I'm, I'm guessing by this point they have kind of a process that's sort of set in stone where the Desners kind of come up with the music and then Matt Berenger puts his his lyrics and vocals over it. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably why this came about, um, you know, so quickly. And and wait, what do the Devendorfs do? They play drums and bass. I don't know. (laughs) It just I always get the picture that that um, Bryce and Aaron Desert are kind of the the musical backbone of the National. Um, I'm sure the Devendorfs get their their input. I mean, as I said, I think um, Brian's drumming has a lot to this band, and it always has. Um, and I <laughs> I don't know if this one is a, is a step backwards or a step sideways. I think there's less of kind of those slightly subtle electronic influences. I was saying we're on um, Sleep Well Beast. It feels a lot more. Um, organic and kind of orchestral and very classic like a, a kind of classical sounding there's a song I remember on it that has like a children's choir on it and that's not something that's ever been on a national album so it, it has kind of a, an epic scope to it but you know like like all national albums is, is kind of intimate in a way too I think I like it so far I don't know if I love it it, I'll have to spend time with it. You want some more of it? I got. I'll, I'll have to wait till it gets a little colder to to really dig deep into <laughs> it. Because fucking summer's coming, man. 
you know, Sean, you mentioned the Devin Darts reminded me there was an album that we used to have at Barnes and Noble when I worked there that I listened to that I really liked, but I could never remember what it was called. It was a side project with the Devin Dorfs mm. and the like the frontman of Beirut. But okay. it was really cool. It was like alternative jam music. But here's the reason I can never remember the name of that band. They're, they're, it's called Linzendurf. No vowels. Yeah, for the listener, that's L-N-Z-N-D-R. I'll, I just figured it out. I just figured it out. <gasps> okay. Because it's it's the Devendorfs and Ben Lands, so it's Lanzendorf. Well, yeah. I didn't get that. <laughs> it's just you take out that the vowels. That wasn't the part I was struggling you know, John, I just heard about this <laughs> literally seconds ago. <laughs> okay, well, check out Lanzendorf if you want more of the Lanzendorf. And I have already messed up. That's not the front man of Beirut. He plays like Glockenspiel. <laughs> <laughs> what else does he play? This is the centerpiece of the Beirut. This is a really. side guy. He plays his Beirut sound. Well, I'm looking up the personnel of Beirut, and his three main instruments are Glockenspiel, sousaphone, and trombone. Clearly, he is the driving force of Beirut. It sounds like he was a band geek in high school. <laughs> Maybe it's time for me to check out Beirut. I don't know what they sound like. Well, except for Lanzendorf. Durf. You just know what that one guy in Beirut sounds like. That's right. So that's all the albums. Yeah. So far. So, so far. far. Do you think you'll ever go see the National Live again? I'd like to, because like, it's a weird thing with a festival performance where you feel like you've seen them live, but you you haven't really seen them live. Like you haven't gone to a show where it's just them; it's just their fans. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're here for you. Where as a festival, you know, the band knows that not everybody in the audience is there for them. So I don't know. I I would like to. It's just. You know, they've gotten kind of big now, and so it's not the cheapest show to go to. Well, and here's an interesting test, and this is going to be completely, this whole part of the conversation is going to be completely obsolete. Like, yeah. If you listen to it after this concert happens, whatever. But I, I noticed that they are playing at Marymore Park, <laughs> yeah. August 29th. Mm-hmm. So, in a festival like setting, outdoors, mm-hmm. summertime. Yeah. Um, does that sound like the right setting to see the National? <laughs> Mary Moore Park, August 29th. I mean, it'll be at night, so it's fine. <laughs> Starts at 6.45. I mean, there's an opening act. They probably don't take the stage until really, dark. It's weird. All of these is the opening act. You know, a band oh, that sounds familiar. I've seen them. We saw them they open for St. Vincent, maybe? I think it was Courtney Barnett. Courtney Barnett. We saw them. But it's, it's just like how the Nationals seem to be doing all this stuff at the wrong time. They're releasing their albums at the wrong time of year. They're, they're going and playing all these summer shows, outdoor summer shows. Yeah. They should be playing moody places. Yeah. They're moody. It, it, for some reason, it just reminded me, like, thinking about that, it, you, you kind of assume bands like the National will be around for a long time, so you'll get a chance maybe to see them live again. But it, I remember... I was planning on seeing The Walkmen in, um, it's been 2012. Mm-hmm. I think I even asked Sean if he wanted to go, and he said yes. But I forgot to buy the tickets, and they broke up after that tour, so I that's never crazy. got to see them. That's crazy, and man. I, I wonder if that's ever happened I to me. deeply regret it. So, you know, you never know. Or like when like you, like their replacements had that tour, I was like, well, they're getting back, they got it back together. They'll probably do it again later. Yeah. There hasn't been any word on that yet. Nope. <laughs> You saw him on that tour, though. Right? 
I did. That was, that was great. Yeah. So I don't even know what else there's to touch on. It sounds like we talked about what our favorite albums were, our favorite songs. Did you say what your favorite song was on the last album? Is that is on it too Sleep new? Well Beast or this album? I don't know. I don't know about either. either. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I definitely like some songs. It's just for some reason. Yeah. It's weird when you listen to an album pretty much only on vinyl because you don't see the song names as much when you're listening to them. You're kind of right. looking away from the track list. So it, uh, I don't know. Uh, System Only Slit Dreams and Total Darkness is a good single. That's all I can really say. The Day I Die. The Day, the day I Die is good I die. too. Where will you be? Yeah. I haven't said it. One of the reasons I like the National is very easy to say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to go very high to be in the same register as them. Any more uh, baritones out there? Yeah. All right, so well, I look forward to the next episode. We're talking about another uh, band that'll, that played at Sasquatch 2010. Why not? Do my morning jacket. If they ever come out with another album. Yeah. They're probably good. better off doing Mumford Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird, but maybe. But if you like what you heard, you can find this podcast at mildlypleased.com or you can go on to iTunes, just search Mildly Please or search Rock Talk. That's R-O-K-K. See you next time when we're half awake in a fake empire. Everything at once